Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. So good to see uh, my people that are in the house and all of you that are worshiping with us online. As Pastor Ethan said earlier, um, it, it is a testament to God's faithfulness that our church is still here, that people are still joining, that God is still moving, that people are still being saved, even a year after pretty much it seemed like the world shut down, right? So that's a lot to be grateful for because even when we're not faithful, guess who is? God is faithful. Amen. So I'm so glad um, for, for us to be able to share in that. Let me tell you about something that's coming up tomorrow. As you know, during this series that we've been in, How to Break the Cycle in the Book of Judges, um, we've been doing equip sessions because there's just some things that we don't have time to always unpack up here on the stage um, and as we get to share with you. So we, we set aside a separate time to sit down and just have a discussion to equip you to be able to be the, the, the kingdom representatives that you are. So we have a session coming out tomorrow called How to Follow Jesus in a Pluralistic Society. So how to follow Jesus when everybody lives by their own truths, right? Because we don't live by our own truth. We live by the truth. And his name is Jesus, all right? So we just wanted to give you some, some really practical ways on how to follow Jesus in the midst of that. So I highly encourage you to check it out. Sit down with your friends um, and discuss it, talk about it, pause it. It'll be a great time to, you know, for you just to equip yourself um, for all the good work that God has called you to um, in this city. Amen? Amen? All right. So listen, we're going to jump right into the message for the day. Um, it, it's something else, too, y'all. It's something else. All right. Um, we're actually going to be, um, this is part six. Um, in this series, and we're actually on the last judge, all right? We're, we're, we're on the last judge, the 12th and final judge. I think he's the most popular judge in this book. His name is Samson, all right? He's so popular right now, he even has a movie out on Netflix as we speak, all right? It's not that great, but it's out there, all right? So it's Samson. Matter of fact, y'all tell me what, just let me hear a few adjectives that describes Samson, just off the top of your head, off the top of your head. Give me some. Strong. Handsome. What else? Long hair, right? Yep. And a lot of different things about Samson, okay? Those are some good things. Is, is, is anybody ever thought to use the word distracted? Distracted. So, so what, what is a distraction? Now, very interestingly, there is a website called distractedpeople.com, all right? Now, what's funny about that, well, it's, it's actually hilarious. It's like some crazy stories on there about people that are often distracted and everything. Um, and in fact, what the founder, this is what it says about the founder. It says, he saw the need for an association early in his life as relatives and friends kept reminding him of how, distra how distracted he was. But for many years, he forgot to start one until one day, dot, dot, dot. All right, you know, it's some crazy stories on there and everything. And um. It's really funny because a lot of people find themselves often distracted. And what, what is a distraction? Here it is. Here's the definition. A thing that prevents someone from giving their full attention to something else. That's what a distraction is. We all struggle with these things that prevent us from being productive, from being focused. But ultimately, especially as believers, they, they prevent us from giving our full attention to God. Right now, on a practical level, let's just be real for a minute. Um, this pandemic has caused many of us to, to kind of have to work from home. 
Um, our children are working, you know, in school. Some of them might be back in school, but then some of them aren't or they're in there partially. Everybody's doing more stuff at home, right? And, uh, and there's some good things um, that are happening, but they're still distractions. Like some of you that like to keep a clean house, it's hard sometimes when you're sitting down on, the, on, the, on that laptop or whatever and you're looking around and stuff needs to be swept up and clothes need to be folded and, and all kind of stuff that's happening around you. You know, for some of you, it's just a distraction for you to even see that stuff. So for you to even work, you got to get your house straight before you even do that. There's pet distractions. Anybody got pet distractions? Yes, y'all got, y'all got animals and animals are living their best life right now. They, I don't know what they're going to do when everybody has to go back and be going out the house. They just, they just enjoy it. Oh, everybody's at home all the time. You know, that, that's what's happening right now. Um, we, we have a- unlimited access to our phones right now. So students, you know that you couldn't be on your phone when a teacher was breaking some stuff down. But now you kind of are on your phone when the teacher is breaking stuff down, you know. Um, same thing with us to go, to, uh, those of us that had to go physically into work. You know, a lot of times, you know, when you're at work, it's rude for you to just be on your phone while you're talking to somebody. But those are distractions right now that we kind of have. I mean, and, I, and I've been saying this over and over. You need to look at your screen time on your phone. It will humble you really quickly. You need to do that. And let me just talk about me personally. My biggest distraction at home is food and snacks, yes, snacks and food, yes, food and snacks. Yes, yes, it's just an unlimited supply all the time. And it's right there in my face. When we were physically coming here in the building, it, it was like, you know, I couldn't have snacks all the time. I had to bring a snack with me, right? Taking the kids' juice box. That's what I used to do when I years ago. My kids don't have juice boxes anymore, but some of y'all dads are guilty for taking your kids' juice box. Leave them kids' juice box at home, all right? Unlimited supplies. And then think about social media, right? Insta, Finsta, the Gram. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, house party, and a whole bunch of new apps that I'm so old I don't know about, all right? You, you, we're distracted by those things. And I mean, even YouTube. Listen, I, here's what happens with YouTube. Y- y'all ever heard of YouTube rabbit holes? Y'all know how it goes. I went on there trying to do something legitimate, like I need to fix this headlight, you know, replace this light bulb in the, in the car, so let me go on YouTube. An hour later, I'm looking at a, a well exploding in 1970, all right? I'm like, what in the world? Y'all are exploding well for 1970? Let me Google that right now. Don't be distracted. Don't do it. All right? But if we're not careful, we get stuck in cycles of distraction. Just like that rabbit hole that we go down on YouTube. And here's the thing. Distractions come with a price. They come with a price. Sometimes they start off fun and harmless, but they end up becoming destructive. Right? And it's all because of our lack of self-control. See, that food distraction, while I'm joking about it, if I continue, if you continue to go down the road of eating unhealthy, it can lead to obesity, it can lead to high blood pressure, it can even lead to heart attacks. Social media distractions. While, again, it's not all bad, but if you spend hours every day allowing social media and news outlets in magazines, if you let that minister to you and minister to your soul, you need to be able to confess that you're distracted, right? Because it, it, it begins to minister to us. And now what's happening is this ministry is becoming our gospel. You know, and here's the thing. Whose gospel? This, think about this. Whose gospel are you preaching? Whose gospel are you living? Whose gospel are you really teaching right now, if this is what's being fed into you. If you ignore God's word, 
you ignore God's way, you ignore God's people, and you ignore these gracious warnings that he gives us. Because we know, I knew when I was going down that rabbit hole on YouTube, I knew in that moment, but I ignored it and kept going, right? Not only will we suffer, church, but the generation behind us suffers. And that's what we keep seeing happening right here in the book of Judges, over and over. That's why we're going to dive into the cycle of distractions, and today's message is fighting distractions. We're going to be in Judges 13 and 14. Now listen, it's going to take this week and next week to unpack this. We'll do 13 and 14 this week, 15 and 16 next week um, as we unpack Samson's story, because with Samson, we get a front row seat to these distractions. Now, here's the thing, because God is so good. We actually get to see constant disgrace meet God's amazing grace over and over again. So let's jump into Judges chapter 13. Look at verse 1. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philippines, Philistines for 40 years. So the previous judges had about, you know, they had fairly short reigns. If you read back in chapter 12, all of them had like two years, six years, seven years. But now it's been 40 years, okay? It's been another generation. Look at verse 2. There's a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. His name actually means rest, which is actually very ironic in this situation. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. That's good news. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink or eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, here's the thing. If you ever wondered if God's concerned with a woman and her body and concerned with the child before conception, Here you have an example right here. This is a great example of God's concern for that. Then it says this, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So there is his purpose. This unborn child already has a kingdom contract, okay? Verse 6 Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Hmm. So, The rest of this chapter, I'm just going to break down the rest of this chapter to you. If you remember, this is very similar to Gideon's account, very similar to the, you know, the stranger that appeared to Gideon, but then he finds out that it's an angel, then Gideon sees the angel, Um, you know, then um, Gideon realizes he's an angel after he does a sacrifice, and then he vanishes up into the sacrifice. Same type thing happened right here, all right? Now, but the only thing that's different is that, you know, Manoah, He's actually a very insecure man, and he actually lacks a lot of knowledge, okay? Because he asked his wife, um, he actually prays to God, can you bring that stranger back so that I can hear kind of what was said and everything? And, and then what's crazy is that the angel does appear again, but it appears back to his wife again, all right? So through his wife, the angel appears and says the thing, and then he brings, they come together, and they had that conversation, and then, then you see what happens. Now, what, what, what's amazing that his wife remains unnamed in here, 
But while he's very insecure and lacks knowledge, she seems to be very calm and wise in this. And just for a moment, I just want to praise God for those obedient women um, that, that have been in my life and obedient women that are here in our church and all of you that are online that, that continue that even when society is all out of whack and even when the men in your life is all out of whack, you stay calm, you stay wise, and you're obedient to God. Because even in her physical body, there's some things going on. There's a whole lot wrong going on in her life, but she seems to be the one that's calm and wise and doing what she, do, she, she should do. And God's going to reward that obedience because through her, he's birthing deliverance. That's what's getting ready to happen through her. Now, while this story is very similar to Gideon's encounter, there are two major differences. In the Gideon encounter, there was a prophet that came and spoke, a prophet that reminded them of everything that was going on. And then you saw people crying out to God, people crying out to God. All right. And then God sent them to deliver. We don't see either of those in this story. It's almost as the narrator is trying to help us understand as we get to the end of the book of Judges that now the people are comfortable with their complacency. They're comfortable with this. They're not crying out to God anymore. It's almost like they're comfortable in this cycle of being distracted. See, what, let me ask you a question. What are you crying out to God for right now? Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with your marriage? Are you comfortable with the state of your children? Are you comfortable with the unity in the church? Are you comfortable with what's going on in our country racially? Are you, what, I don't know what it is, but what are you crying out to God for? Because if you're not, you're probably distracted. And that's what we see happening right here. Okay? Now, really quickly, because we saw this phrase, Nazarite. Let me just to be clear on this. It actually told us in here what a Nazarite is. But if you want to be clear, for those of you that are writing notes, write, jot down Numbers chapter 6. In number 6, it breaks it down very clearly. All right, what a Nazarite is. Three things. One, you can't drink wine or anything from grapes. Number two, you don't go near anything unclean, so you don't go near anything, any dead bodies, anything like that. Thirdly, you got to stay away from the barbershop, all right? You can't cut your hair. No razor. You got to have locks. Samson, you'll find out, had dreadlocks. He had seven locks in his hair, even from the time he was a little child. In the, in the, in the end of this chapter, it actually says that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in this young man during that time, all right? So that's what's happening. So let's keep reading. Let's go ahead to ch chapter 14. Verse 1. Samson, what's, what's these next two words? Went down. Anytime the narrator says some, he, somebody went down, it's kind of very similar to what's getting ready to happen. It's about to go down, all right? All right, he went down to Timnah. Distraction number one is a place, all right? And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Distraction number two is a person, all right? But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all the people that you must take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? from the ungodly people, from the people that have been oppressing our people, from the people that don't give any, they don't care nothing about what's going on with the will of God. This, this is where you want to get your wife from? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. Why? For she is right in my eyes. He's like, she's right. That's what he's saying. She's right. Okay. Verse 4. His father and mother did not know it was from the Lord. 
Hmm. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And that time, Philistines ruled over Israel. So let's deal with this phrase. Because here's the thing. I like when you read the Bible and you ask yourself good questions. You all should ask a question about, it was from the Lord. Hold on. That's when that's supposed to happen. All right? So here's the thing. We know why it's from the Lord, right? Because it says it. Because he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, all right, their oppressors, which is Samson's whole purpose. This was told before he was born. We know that that's what that's there. But here's the thing. Did God place that desire in Samson? No. I want us to be very careful here. God did not place Samson's attraction for foreign women in foreign places. He didn't do that. God does not tempt people. Jot, jot this down. Jot down James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. That breaks down how we're tempted. James 1, 12 through 15. It breaks down how when you're tempted, it comes up from inside of you, and then it talks about what it births, okay? So I just, let's just be clear on that first. We, we need to understand that. Here's the second thing. God loves his people so much that he will use anybody to bring about deliverance. So God is going to use Samson, even Samson's resistance to his will. Man, that's how bad our God is. Or that's how good our God is, okay? All right? That, that, that's how good he is. And you're saying like, man, that, that's weird. So listen, that's why you shouldn't get overly excited about the fact that God can use anybody. You should get excited. I, I, I'm excited when God uses people. I am. I really am. But what really should get you excited is that God desires to know you, that you can be in relationship with God, that you can know his will, that you can know his way, that you can represent him in this earth because he can use anybody. In fact, in fact, case in point, in Jesus's ministry, when um, he asked 12 disciples, but those disciples are making disciples. So they have disciples and 70 of them. They're going out and they're casting demons out of people. In other words, they're bringing deliverance to people through casting demons out of them. And it's amazing. They're so amazed that they're casting out demons, they come back to Jesus and they're like, wow, even demons are being cast out um, about what we're doing. And Jesus, you know what Jesus said to them? He said this in Luke 17. He said, rejoice not that you cast out demons, but rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because Jesus said, I'm going to say one day, Lord, Lord, people are going to come up to me and they're going to say, on judgment day, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we cast out demons? Haven't we done all these things? And he's going to say, depart from me because you're working sin. It's iniquity because I never knew you. He desires to know you. You can know him. But God will use anybody to bring about deliverance. So, he, and so some of you that's even dealing with church hurt, don't throw out what that pastor said. Don't throw out if what they said was true. God used them. That's what it was. But don't get caught up in the person as much. Get caught up in the person of Christ. All right? So we're going to keep singing this. There's also just a word of encouragement for parents right here. Because I know as much as we want to protect our children um, from what's external, and you should, you should, be te- you should be letting your kids know that there's some worldviews out there that don't align with the Bible. There's, world, there's things externally that, that you need to be, be, be protecting your children from. But also, parents, you need to let, make sure your children know about the other enemy, which is the inner me. 
okay? This is the one that a lot of times we don't prep our children well for their own hearts, for their own distractions, for their own lusts, from those things right there. We're going to even talk on that a little bit more next week, all right? But let's finish talking about this narrative for today because it's getting ready to get real dramatic, <laughs> all right? So Samson's parents, they don't go and get her as he requested. They kind of quietly oppose this. So Samson goes back down to Timnah, and on his way down there, he runs into a lion, okay? And the Spirit of God comes over Samson, and Samson kills this lion with his bare hands. I don't know if y'all ever seen a lion before, but the last thing you want to do when you run up on a lion is be in front of that lion with your bare hands. You need something. He rips this lion apart with his bare hands, the spirit of the Lord. Crazy, right? This should actually humble him a little bit because you know you can't do that on your own, right? You can't do that on your own. Anyway, it doesn't humble him. He still goes down to Timnah. He sees this young lady, makes the arrangements. I'm going to marry her, and this is, this is what's about to happen. So on his way back, on his way back, the lion carcass is, the lion is dead, and inside the lion carcass is a honeycomb. So Samson is distracted, distraction number three, a thing, okay? So he sees a honeycomb in the lion carcass. Now, I have to admit, I get distracted too when I see sweets, okay? <laughs> All right, I ain't, I ain't, I, Samson, I get it. But if I saw some Skittles in a lion carcass, it's probably a setup, all right? It's probably a setup, dog. Come on, cuz. But he likes, I don't care, I'm the man, right? I just killed a lion. So he scoops the honey out, all right? He, t- he got the honey. He's chilling. He gets back to his parents' house. He gives them some of the honey. He doesn't even tell them about that account. So, he, you know, he's he living his best life. I got my honey, and I'm about to marry my honey, right? This is, this is you know, he's he feeling himself right now. But he hides all that from his parents. So he's broken his vow, his Nazarite vow, because he's you know, not supposed to touch anything unclean. He's done that already. And, and let me just tell you something, children, anything that you got to hide from your parents, especially godly parents, you already know it's wrong. If, if, if you got to think twice about whether that person can meet your parents, you, I need, what you got to figure out? Ain't nothing to figure out. All right, it, it, that, 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 that thing that you want to do that you got to hide, if it's some drugs, what, I don't, it, whatever it is, you already know. You already know. He already knows, but he's going to do his thing anyway, right? So this is what happens. So Samson now is getting ready to marry this Philistine woman in this Philistine city, all right? Um, it's a seven-day wedding feast. Now, remember, this is not Jewish. It's a foreign people, ungodly people, ungodly woman. He's, about to, he's moving in that direction anyway, so this is getting ready to happen, a seven-day feast. And on the last day of the feast, that's when him and his wife come together and consummate their marriage. That's, that's what happens, all right? Now, what happens in this, <laughs> when I was reading this, I was like, this is actually the first battle rap that happens in here. And y'all like, battle rap, what is that? So hopefully y'all... Battle rap. Rappers in hip-hop, there's a lot of battles that happen, right? There's dance battles. Y'all probably seen people, they, they like they're getting ready to fight, but they're not. They're just dancing against each other, right? Same thing with battle rap. Battle rap, I'm going to rap. Two guys are, you know, rapping off against each other, and it's all about who has the most skills and who can say the most clever sayings and who got the best similes and metaphors, and they normally have a group of people behind them, and they're cheering them on, and they're just breaking stuff down. So Samson, at this wedding feast, he's like, you know what? I got something for him because I killed this lion. I got a rhyme for these dudes. And matter of fact, I'm so convinced that they're not going to be able to, to, to out, out rhyme me in this or figure, figure this riddle out 
that I, I'm going to bet them 30 pieces of linen and 30 garments. Now, if you, would do, if you had a lot of clothes back then, you were stunting, okay? That's what we say. He, you, you're just like, you're walking around like you're the man. So he's betting this on these guys, right? And they're like, sure, we'll do that. Because between the 30 of us, one of us is going to definitely figure out this riddle. And we got seven days. Yeah, we, we got this. You know, so it's almost like the equivalent, you know, to help y'all understand. It's just like Samson basically saying, I'm going to get 30 pairs of new Jordans that just came out. All right? That's, that's what's happening. All right? So Samson, you know, he goes over, he looks over at the DJ at the wedding. He's like, hey, DJ, I need you to throw that beat on right quick. And DJ is like, all right, I got you. And he's like, igga, 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 And then Samson says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. All right? It actually rhymes, too. That's the thing that's crazy. Look, verse 14, I'm not lying. That's what it says, all right? Then Samson drops the mic. He walks off, and he's like, yeah, them Jordans are going to be so fly on me. I'm going to have 30 pair of Jordans. I mean, he just goes back, and he sits down. Three days goes by. These dudes cannot figure out this rhyme. They're like, man, we don't have anything for this dude. We don't have anything. But remember, these are ungodly people, so look at verse 15. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And in verse 16, it says, and Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me, you do not love me. You've put a riddle to my people and you've not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I've not told my father nor my mother. Shall I tell you? Yeah, because he didn't tell them. Verse 17, she wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. So here's the thing. When you're in cycles of distraction, it actually becomes harder and harder to think wisely about what's going on. You've been in this city with these people. We can see what's coming, right? He can't. Then she told the riddle to her people, right? And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, so they came back at the wedding feast. They said, hey, DJ, I need you to throw that beat back on that Samson had before. And DJ was like, igga, 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 igga. And then they say this, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And then this is what I imagine it looked like right then. That's what happened. All his boys... They're like, oh, Samson, oh he, just, oh, he just got you. And then Samson's just like, are you serious right now? Are you serious? And then it says, and he said to them, Samson said this, and he said to them, back in rhyme form, because this is the thing, in the scripture, all this is actually in, in rhyme form, okay? He said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, he called his wife a heifer. That's some country stuff right there. <laughs> y'all, y'all know that? Y'all know that? Call somebody, call somebody a heifer. All right, he called, he, 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 you basically, because you, you, you worked my wife, all right, into this, you would have not found out my riddle. Then in verse 19, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ascalon and struck 30 men of the town. So this is a coastal city, all right, a whole other city. Uh, he goes out there, took their spoils, and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. So he had to go down there and snatch all them Jordans off all those people. He took them out. Then it says, in hot anger, now anger is already bad, in hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Rut roll, right? So Samson is so angry, 
that he leaves his wife and he goes back home. And I'm sure his mom and pops are like, now, y'all, now you see, right? Now we, we try to tell you not to be fooling with these people. But now you know went out there and this is what has happened. Now here's the thing. God still providentially used Samson because he's accomplishing his will to destroy if it's the beginning of you kind of seeing of God delivering Israel in the midst of this. So don't get lost in the story and forget that God's goal is to deliver Israel. But here's the thing. Samson does not know yet that his wife has been given to his best man. You're going to find that out next week on how to break the cycle. All right. So we'll, you'll get to that next week. You'll we'll start right there. and We're going we're gonna to talk about these distractions for a moment. All right. So let me give you three practical ways to fight the distractions. All right. So Samson, as we saw in the story, had three primary distractions, okay? First one was a person, Philistine woman. The second thing was a place, Timnah, Philistine city. The third thing was a lion carcass, all right? It was a thing. Now, what's a person, place, or a thing, all my language arts people? It's a noun. I love the way Tony Evans breaks down what an idol is. He says an idol is any unauthorized noun. Any unauthorized person, place, or thing that desires to be your source. That's what it is. See, Samson's lust for this woman is a distraction. In Samson's heart, he was like, I'm in love. He was caught up in his feelings. He wanted honey, right? This is what he wanted. And it's distracting him from his mission from God. Your lust will always keep you from something better. So just let me tell you, single people, married people, don't let your lust keep you from something better. Samson's materialism in Timnah, this place, wanting these clothes and getting all these Jordans and all this stuff. He, stuff, we don't need to let stuff have us, right? We don't need to let stuff have us. You can have stuff, but don't let it have you. There's a better reward. His curiosity over this carcass is a distraction. Why? Because we're afraid of missing out on something. Yes, believer. You are missing out on something on purpose because God has something better for you. He has something sweeter than a honeycomb for you. Now, listen, do y'all think that Jesus was tempted with distraction? Yes. Jesus was tempted with distraction. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we were, yet he was without sin. See, Jesus fought distractions, and he taught us how to do the same. One of the places that we see the most clearly of Jesus fighting distractions is actually in Luke chapter 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God up on a mountain. This is before he ever had any disciples. This is before he starts his earthly ministry. He's led up. He's 30 years old. He's led up to the mountain by the Spirit of God um, to be up there for 40 days and 40 nights, okay? Now, here's the thing. This is what we kind of see Jesus do. So here's your, your, your first thing, first practical step. Know your triggers, number one. Know your triggers. Self-examination. The Bible says for us to examine ourselves. Let every man, let every woman examine yourself. There's some things the Bible tells you to do yourself. One of them, examine yourself. Humble yourself. You know, the Spirit of God will give you self-control. You know, we've been talking about this. This is one of the things. You need to know your triggers. These triggers are, are, are there's things in our lives that trigger distractions for us. All right? And it forces you back into unhealthy cycles. So Satan, what Satan did, now Jesus has been up on this mount for 40 days. He's hungry. So what Satan did, he tried to distract Jesus with his own hunger. Now here's the thing about hunger. Hunger is legitimate. It's a legitimate need 
When somebody is hungry, they need to eat. But Satan tried to make Jesus take a legitimate need and uh, fulfill it in an illegitimate way. He said, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, no, I, I, I don't need to do that because my, I, I, the Lord led me here. And if he's going to have me hungry, I understand why he has me hungry right now. All right? Just like sex before marriage. That's a legitimate need that you have. But if you're having it before or outside of your marriage, it's in an illegitimate way. You're trying to turn some stones into bread. It's like it's the reason why people get high. Stress. Yes, you have stress and you need to be able to deal with your stress, but you don't need to deal with your stress in an illegitimate way. That's what Satan does. You need to know your triggers. We need to know our triggers. We need to understand that we have to examine ourselves. That's why I don't go up in the grocery store hungry. You go shopping hungry, you're going to get a lot of stuff you don't need because you're going to be distracted. Legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Y'all with me? All right, second thing. Schedule time to focus. Meditation. Meditation. Schedule time to focus. Daily, you should spend time reflecting, re-centering. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we sing these choruses. That's why we do what we do. That's why you need to have a routine because you need to recenter. You need to recall. You need to focus on God's character. You need to focus on his grace. You need to focus on his promises. That's what you need to be focusing on. See, meditation is not wrong. It's what you're meditating on, right? The Bible says meditate on his word day and night. Jesus was up there on the mountain worshiping, all right? He's in the presence of God. You know, he's sitting there. He got some scrolls up there. He got some scrolls he's reading, but he's also up there just in the presence of God, worshiping God, thinking about his goodness, looking at the last 30 years of his life, looking at this mission that God has in front of him. He's up there getting ready for for what God has called him to do. But Satan is trying to distract him even in that moment because Satan asked him to worship him. He said, Jesus, if you would just worship me, all this stuff that you see up here, I give all of it to you. Jesus, there's an easier way. There's an easier way. Pastor Ethan said it last week. We become victims of what we worship. And that's what Satan was trying to do, get Jesus to become his victim. But meditation is how you center your worship. One of the spiritual disciplines is actually solitude. It's you getting away. And you spending some time. Like, do what you got to do. Like, listen, I, I get out, like, you know, even right now in this pandemic, we're working from home. But a lot of times, like, in the middle of the day, I'll get out and i start walking. i start walking and i just start singing and confessing and doing whatever I need to do and, and I'm trying to recenter my time and just have some time alone um, with the Lord. That, that, that's something that needs to happen. Um, uh, that's, a, that's a great way to take a break, is to take a break from everything in that way. Jesus did it all the time. Sometimes he did it in the morning. Sometimes he did it in the evening. Sometimes he did it in the afternoon. But he's fellowshipping with God the Father and God the Spirit. Third thing is this. Trust your community. That's fellowship. Trust your community, fellowship. Samson ignored his parents. He ignored God's word, right? And instead, the Philistines now are becoming his new family. See, distractions come with a price. God will always provide a way out of temptations for us. And he does that a lot of times by placing godly people around us. God provided Samson that way out. Do y'all remember? 
He's like, you know, I mean, yes, he had already been distracted. He's already lusting after this woman. But his parents said, hey, stop. Listen. But he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. All of us have a way out. Every time you're tempted, God provides a way out. And a lot of times it's through fellowship. That's what happens. Did you know that, that one of the thing, the last thing, the, the last way that Jesus, um, Satan tempted Jesus? He told, he said, look, Jesus, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go up to the top of this mountain and I want you to jump off and the angels are, coming, are going to come and rescue you. Now, as crazy as that might sound, he quoted Psalm 91 verbatim. Satan was quoting the scripture verbatim. All right. So basically what he was trying to say is, Jesus, I got a way. I know a way for people to believe that you're the Christ without you having to suffer. Without you having to go through that. If you go jump, because it says it in the scripture, if you go jump off this mountain and then they see the angels rescue you, then they'll know that you're the son of God. That sounds like a plan. You ain't got to go through this, whatever you're trying to do, this plan to suffer or whatever. You ain't got to do all that. But Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. I'm not putting the Lord to a test. It's like Jesus understood in his mind. Because see, the road that Jesus was about to travel was not going to be an easy road. The road that Jesus traveled was a narrow road. It was a road that involved thorns. It was a road that involved our sins. It was a road that involved his disciples betraying him, forgetting about him. It was a hard road that Jesus traveled. And here's the thing. He suffered a lot. He suffered as a human, resisting all these temptations. But let me tell you something. God does not waste one ounce of your suffering. Jesus understood this road and he took it first. Yes, he was tempted with the distraction to eat what the world eats, but he examined himself. He was tempted to worship what the world worships, but instead he meditated and spent time with the Holy Spirit and spent time with God the Father. Yes, he was tempted to trust what the world trusts, but instead he trusted the community that he had already established, that he'd already been in since eternity and because of Jesus Christ's obedience not only did he defeat Satan the enemy he defeated sin for us he defeated death for us because Jesus provided deliverance for us in fact the only distraction that Jesus allowed When he was going through all that pain on the cross, it says this in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus saw us. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He saw you being free from your sin. He saw you free from all those distractions. He saw that and it says he endured because of that. He endured because he believed and he trusted God. And I want y'all to be free too. Church, never forget that Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never be forsaken by God. I praise God for a God that loves us so much that he wouldn't let anything keep us away from being delivered. Why don't you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, I pray for our people, Lord. We definitely live in a time where there are many things, God, that continue to reach and grab at our minds, that reach and grab at our hearts. There's things that desire to be our security, things that desire to be what we put all our hope in, things that we desire to put all our trust in. I pray, Lord, that we don't get distracted, that we set aside every weight, everything, so that we can worship you, Lord. God, I thank you for your will. Thank you for your way. Lord, we worship you in this place. Deliver us. In Jesus' name we pray.